T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Well, 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 what do we have here? You are up awfully early. Well, good morning to you, and thank you for being here. This is Wiggins America, and we have a jam-packed show for a Saturday morning. I almost am embarrassed for the other shows at this station because I get to do Saturday mornings, and guess when all the news comes out? Friday nights. And this was uh, no exception. Of course, I'm talking about the Arizona audit and everything that goes along with that. But let me tell you about some of the other things. We're definitely getting to that. We're actually going to get to that right now. First things first, we're going to get to that next hour too. That's that's the lead story of the day. And we're going to break down all the numbers for you. And I'm going to tell you the whole, the whole story too, because there's a lot to it. And that's good, because we got time. So thanks for being here. But... Uh, there are some other things, big things that happened this week, one of which I was like, man, we've got to talk about this. The China thing, right? We you watching this week? The markets have been crazy. They dipped by hundreds and hundreds of points on Monday because the biggest financial uh, you know, real estate lender like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac here of China looked like they were going to default. So they did basically backed away from that. They, they started paying some bills. We don't know whether the Chinese government got involved. I don't know a whole lot about actually the way that that works in China and what we know and what we don't and what we can trust. But I know who does. His name is ja- Jonathan Honig, and he is going to join us this morning from capitalistpig.com. Just a wealth of information. Super, super smart guy on markets and on this issue. It kind of crosses over into geopolitics which is why I find it so interesting and why uh, I'm much more interested in like that, that than what the markets did this week. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the long-term implications of those things, and that is actually coming up in this hour, so stick around. But first, let's talk about these audit numbers that have come out. I'm going to break it down. It, it's It's been... I spent all of last night just drinking from the fire hose because... <clears throat> the thing started at roughly two o'clock our time and went for a couple hours and it was just information, information, information. And of course, I'm on the Annie Fry show during part of that, so I couldn't participate in it live and we, we couldn't really even air the hearing live because it's just, we've tried to do that in the past, but there's there's so much kind of noise that happens in the middle of getting info that it makes it really hard to do live. So I'm trying to monitor this, and I've been monitoring it all night, and so here we are. And I've boiled it down to kind of just the the essential numbers, which we absolutely will get to. 
Um, they're tough to digest because there are so many of them. So I'm going to hit the highlights, but let me also set this up for you before we get there. So this has been such a long time coming and I have been following it like a hawk for about four or five months. The, the audit started officially in March and up until the audit actually started, there was a, there was a lot of interference by the Maricopa that's the Phoenix Board of Supervisors, which oversees the election in that county. They've been focused on that county because they thought if there's fraud, it's going to be here. Now, they also think that Pima County, Arizona, could be another place where there's been a significant amount of fraud. And so there are a lot of people pushing for them to audit that now. I don't know whether we'll see that or not. We're still too fresh off of this thing. But <clears throat> the numbers are... Um, I don't know how to categorize them right now because it's it's kind of what we expected. It's just not more information than what we expected. And so uh, there's a part of me that's a little bit disappointed that we didn't get more in-depth numbers. We got tons of numbers, like I said, drinking from a fire hose, but they're not as revealing as I had hoped. And so we knew this was coming Friday afternoon, evening. And again, those of us who've been following this very, very closely were on the edge of our seat. Okay, you've been doing this for months. What are you going to reveal? But I, I became a little bit skeptical that we were going to see anything because they were doing it on Friday afternoon. As you know, I just mentioned, Friday afternoon news dumps usually are where people put things to hide them because over the weekend, they don't get as much coverage. And by Monday, they're old news. This one's not going to be old news. This one will be talked about for a long, long time and will be dissected further. And we're going to do some of that, of course. But I, I set this story up to say that on, I think it was Monday of this week or maybe Sunday, it was announced that this was coming on Friday. And that made me go, well, why are they doing it on Friday? Are they trying to hide the numbers? Are they not what they expected? I think the answer is none of the above. They just did it on Friday because... Well, in my opinion, because they've been under a microscope for so long that they said, we're going to do this on Friday and then we're going to take the weekend off. <laughs> That's what I think the Arizona Senate did because uh, everybody from the Arizona media to some national media have been just throwing them under the bus for this for so long. And then the DOJ got involved. Of course, Biden has a vested interest in making sure that this thing doesn't get overturned or that the truth doesn't come out because it would negatively impact him, you assume. And that is, in fact, what happened. So uh, the story of this week is that we found out about that. And then yesterday morning, um, there was a whole bunch of news stories. I should say Thursday night is when some of this started to come out. <clears throat> By Friday morning, there were actual news stories about it explaining that this one little bitty piece of information, apparently the Maricopa Board of Supervisors, which has been blocking many, many things from the Arizona Senate from getting about this audit, uh, they grabbed a little piece of information which had been leaked <clears throat> and put that out to the press, their friends in the press, which means the leftist press. That little bit of information was that the recount itself was similar to the, the, re, the count that they originally had. So all kinds of media jumped on that, mainstream media, and said, look, nothing changed. In fact, they even found a few more votes for Biden. And then they went like this, they dusted their hands, and they said, well, all done. And that was all to get out ahead of the actual audit numbers, which they knew were coming later yesterday, so that they could control the narrative. 
That's what they do. These are really despicable, disgusting people. They don't want to know the truth. They want to control the narrative, and they're very, very good at doing it. And so if you saw anything about this story at all, which is a surprise because nobody ever covers it because they try to bury it, you saw that yesterday. You saw that the Maricopa Board of Supervisors leaked one number from the audit that suggested that the count was accurate or even had benefited Biden a little bit. What they did not say and was revealed very plainly in the actual audit is that when you do a recount, of course, it's going to look similar if it's good because you're just recounting the same ballots. You're recounting the fraudulent ballots if there are fraudulent ballots. So I got a chance to talk with Mark Cox. He actually explained explained this better than I did uh, when I was on his show yesterday morning. I think it's worth replaying some of that to sort of get context for where we were yesterday morning. And then I will be back after we play a little bit of this interview from yesterday to update you on all the actual numbers. Here you go. Wow. Wiggins America. So, so Boris Epstein used to work for President Trump. Uh, he has tweeted out about this as well, saying the number of illegal ballots is over four times the current amount separating President Trump and Joe Biden in Arizona as a whole should never have been certified is his argument here. So so here's what I'll tell you what Maricopa County's done, because some analysis is due here. What they've done is taken this the portion of the report that strictly looked at recounting the ballots. Now, a lot mm-hmm. of places do recounts, and whenever that happens, they'll occasionally find a stray ballot that was either a pro or a con. So it might change the numbers a, a, a minimal amount, maybe eight or ten one direction or another, maybe a hundred one direction or another. That's not what this forensic audit was about. The forensic audit was looking deeper than that at who voted and how they voted, right? So when they when they com- roll this report out this afternoon at three o'clock, that's what I'm expecting to hear. And once they have the the results, and Maricopa County fought them every step of the way here, Ryan. Once they have these results. Guess what's going to happen? The attorney general in Arizona, Mark Brinovich, is going to open a criminal investigation. He will then have subpoena power to get the information that Maricopa County has been holding back. So that is the next step in all of this. It wasn't about the cyber ninjas rolling out enough evidence to overturn the election. It was about them finding the problems that were underneath the surface so that the attorney general could come in and take a closer look at this. Yeah, which is why the Board of Supervisors are so worried about it and why this leak stuff is coming from them. And uh, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that the mainstream media is covering it this way. This is the way they've covered it the whole time, when they've chosen to cover it, because yeah. mostly they've yeah. ignored it. But uh, I, some of the stuff you're saying I have seen this morning, I don't know if you followed Josh Barnett. He's a congressional candidate in uh, Arizona. He's been all over this too. And he said exactly what you just said. He said, look, what's being leaked right now is a very, very small portion of what we expect to see this afternoon, which is exactly what you said. It's, it's the recount numbers. So the, and, and when you see the mainstream media reporting about this today, they're saying recount. They're saying that word because they're just talking about recounting what was already certified. Well, what he said was, Josh Barnett, he said, well, if you recount fraudulent ballots, you're going to get the same number. <laughs> That's the point of the audit, is that you're, you're not just recounting them, you're looking at them and seeing if they're legitimate or not, 
which is what they're going to actually report this afternoon. One of the one of the best uh, investigative reports that I've watched in a long time came out of Atlanta a few years back when they started tracing tax returns, right, to addresses in the Atlanta area. They had some in, in, in investigative reporter down there who was uh, a pretty on his game who started tracking these things down. And he found that there was one address in, in, in suburban Atlanta where millions of dollars in tax returns have been shipped. And he goes there and he knocks on the door and this Hispanic looking guy opens the door and uh, he doesn't speak very good English. And they, they finally find out, thanks to this guy's reporting, that people have been filing fraudulent tax returns, non-citizens, millions of dollars in checks have been shipped to this trailer in the outskirts of Atlanta. And, and they were funneling that money back to Mexico, right? And, and if not for him digging a little deeper and looking into that, we never would have known what was going on there. So here's what we know about Arizona. We know that there's evidence that these ballots were mailed out to everyone. A lot of times they were mailed to addresses in commercial districts where nobody lives, right? It's like a bottling district or a warehouse district. People don't live there. Your, your, your ballot gets mailed to your house. So if votes came from the ballots that were mailed to those areas, those, those votes shouldn't count. But the, these are none of these are questions that have ever been examined in any of these elections across the country. No, exactly. And that's what what's what's been the problem so far is that up until now, we see lots of numbers. You and I both, we talk about these things. Yeah. You see lots of numbers that you're like, that's really fishy. What needs to happen now is that this audit and the Arizona Senate needs to say, okay, these are beyond fishy. These are stamp done. These are fraudulent ballots. These are fraudulent votes. Because that's what it's going to take, like you said, to get the attorney general involved. And so that's what we're hoping, you know, let's turn the page. Let's move to the next chapter beyond just fishy and get into, okay, these were actually fraudulent ballots and and find out who's responsible if there are. We'll know soon, but it's another great example of of the media grabbing something and running with what it wants to be the story before the story actually happens at about three o'clock this afternoon. Wow. Wiggins America. Okay, so now you're caught up on the narrative, which I think is important because that's what it ultimately it's all about, right? Unless people are talking about this stuff and moving the football down the field, none of these numbers are going to make sense. So you're like, okay, now you're caught up. All right, that's everything that happened yesterday up until the audit. So Ryan, can you p- please finally give me the numbers from the audit? Yes, I can. And here you go. <clears throat> the canvas showed that 3,400 more ballots were, were casted than recorded. Remember, we're talking about 10,000 ballot difference between Trump and Biden in the actual election. Over 9,000 more mail-in ballots were received than recorded than the official number of mail-in ballots sent out by the county. This is just Maricopa County. Precincts show more ballots cast on election day than people showed up to vote, Fifty about 1,500 extra. Approximately 2,500 ballots were shown to, or were shown in early returns that do not have a voter listed as casting them. Are you getting lost in the numbers here? It's easy to do. Here's a big, big one. Over 255,000 early votes shown in the county's final vote file do not have a corresponding entry in the early voting returns file. Now, that's a big number, but a lot of this stuff, and I'll get into why I'm a little bit frustrated with this, because some of this we already knew. 
<clears throat> I was hoping to get a little bit more conclusive results of what these numbers mean. Let me get to that in just a second. Let me finish the numbers here. Over 23,000 voted by mail after moving after October 5th. That's conclusive. So some of these are a little bit like, well, what does that mean? That one's very conclusive. 23,000 people voted by mail after moving after the October 5th cutoff. That's clearly illegal. You can't do that. Those should be thrown out. 2,382 voters casted votes in Maricopa County in person after moving out of the county. Again, you can't do that. Those should be thrown out. Over 2,000 voters who moved out of Arizona during the 29 days before the election were given a full ballot instead of a presidential-only ballot. That's legal. Those should be thrown out. Those would definitely impact the Senate races. Close to 300 deceased voters potentially voted. That's frustrating because of the word potentially. Isn't that the point of the audit is to find out if they did or didn't? Uh, last couple here. There are an unprecedented number of discrepancies in the vote total. This could only happen through malicious actions or severe incompetence from Maricopa County officials. There are too many discrepancies to declare an outright winner of Arizona's electoral votes. Now, that's the big one. That's the big determination. There is one other fact. I'm just reading you numbers right now. There is one other fact that's uh, not really being reported a whole lot. Well, none of this is being reported. <laughs> so What I just read isn't even being reported. <laughs> the only thing that's being reported is the little leak that Maricopa County put out yesterday morning. It's the only thing you'll find. If you type in Google or wherever you go, that's the only thing that's going to come up. That's why you got to listen to stuff like this, right? It's probably why you are listening to stuff like this or you're downloading the podcast because there are very few people reporting on this and you want to know the truth. So one of the, the things that came out of this audit today too and there's been a lot, is that the day before they handed over the uh, digital files to the audit, they deleted all of the election files on it. Well, why would you do that? Unless you were trying to hide some. Why would you delete all of the election files from your computers right before you handed them over to the audit? Just because you were being a jerk? Well, maybe, but you <laughs> certainly looks like you're hiding something. So I will tell you this, <clears throat> what's frustrating to me is, and I'll give you the big takeaway too here in a second. What's frustrating to me is that some of these numbers we already knew. And my hope was, as somebody who's been following this, was that it would be determined that X amount of ballots were absolutely fraudulent and or here's where we think they came from and or especially this. This number of those votes were for Joe Biden or this number of those votes were for, for, for Trump because that's part of the problem. We don't know how many of those votes that were fraudulent were for Biden or were for Trump. We assume just because that a lot of them were for Biden or more were for Biden, but we don't know. <clears throat> and that to me is what's frustrating. And that to me is what I wanted out of this audit. Now, we do have some concrete numbers now to work from. The big one, the big takeaway that I said roughly 57,000 votes they said probably should be thrown out so now we move on does, does this become a criminal case what that's where we go we really need new phones t-mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iphone 15s and each line is only 25 dollars a month new iphone 15s it's better over here. only at t-mobile get four iphone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. one FM Talk, Wiggins, America. Thanks for tuning in this morning and being awake with us. So we've got a news story this week that I, I thought was important enough as far as both the markets are concerned and geopolitics. If uh, all those things work together, that makes a pretty interesting news story, in my opinion. So we called up Jonathan Honig from CapitalistPig.com, and he is here with us now. Good morning. Brian, great to be with you. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating story because it involves, as you said, in politics, the economy, and ultimately all of our everyone's 401k, because they were certainly impacted quite, uh, quite a lot this week as rumors of this major Chinese company's potential insolvency, at least for a while, rocked the market. So let's start big, Jonathan, and just sort of explain what happened to the markets this week first in their response to this company, and then we'll kind of dig into what, what China's doing with all this. Well, there was a lot of there was a hell of a rebound towards the end of the week, but towards the beginning of the week, there was a lot of fears over a major company in China called Evergrande or Evergrande, basically a major Chinese real estate developer, not just major in terms of development, but major in terms of its debt as well. And one of the similarities between China and, oh, say, America back in 2007, 2008 was not only its level of indebtedness, but also its involvement of government manipulation of the markets. So much in terms of Chinese real estate and so much of its economy is basically you know, manipulated by the government, incentivized by the markets. You have a lot of what's called malinvestments. It's commonly known, for example, now that major Chinese companies oftentimes build empty buildings only to knock them down again simply because of a government edict. So there's long been known to be somewhat of a, if you will, house of cards brewing in China. So lots of fear this this week after this major company couldn't pay its debts. And in effect, you know, one of its debts, its bonds came due and they couldn't make the payments. So there was a lot of fear about what would, it, you know, what would happen. Its share price tumbled, you know, 70, 80, 90 percent, just a number of weeks. And a lot of fear for whether this could be, as they say, contagion, whether this could spark that kind of a Lehman Brothers moment that ultimately led to 2008. That's why we saw the markets fell off this week. Jonathan Honing from Capitalist Pig with us right now. So w- when you say that it could be a contagion, would that be a, a something that would just affect the Chinese market and maybe their currency? Or is China so big at this point that if something starts to fall in China, the rest of the world's going to feel it, including here? That's that's exactly it. I mean, the thing with contagion is that it's 
it isn't contained. And, you know, so many of the Chinese investors, for example, the, the, the Chinese companies owe money to American banks or American investors, perhaps not directly, but through the, the chain, that economic chain. I mean, the, it's just impossible to think of any one economy as, a, as an isolated uh, star in the, in the global economy. It really is an interconnected whole. So same thing, just as you saw, you know, for example, uh, a, a sell-off in Chinese stocks or sell-off in international stocks in 2008 affect our own market here at home. The same thing is true when it comes to this time around. If China falls, you're going to see the rest of the markets and the rest of the global economy fall as well. It's just too big of a player. So is this something, Jonathan, that investors saw coming, or did it kind of blindside everybody? And is that because it's in China or just that you know, just nobody saw it coming in general? Well, no. I mean, there, there had been a lot of talk for quite some time, and even some published reports, but not just uh, issues about too much borrowing in China, too much debt in China, but in fact, this particular real estate company in particular. So, you know, there had been some, some talk about it, but, you know, not dissimilar, again, what you saw in the, the financial crisis. People have been warning that companies like Lehman Brothers, uh, uh, Bear Stearns, et cetera, have been over leveraged for too long. So I think that's the, na- the nature of a debt crisis, though, is that it doesn't appear until, if you will, the plates stop spinning. And it comes, think about it, uh, within the context of a 12, 13-year expansion in global financial markets, all-time record highs in just the last couple of, of uh, months, and also a lot of brooming fears and brooming issues. I mean, geopolitics is just one of them. You've got a, a debt ceiling here at home in, in Washington. You've got the potential for inflation at home and worldwide, rising commodity prices. So, you know, there's an old saying about the market hates uncertainty. You know, this just le- adds one another level to uncertainty because if a major company in China fall fails, we're going to see it in our 401ks here at home. Yeah. Jonathan Honig, CapitalistPig.com, on the phone with us. So I think the question I'm trying to get to without, you know, I'm not a financial expert myself. I, I fancy myself somebody who enjoys money, but I don't necessarily have a lot of it. Um, it is when information, even financial information, comes out of China, does the market generally trust it, or does it look at this information, not necessarily just with this company, but in general, with a little bit of skepticism like, yeah, that's the way they're trying to spin those numbers? Well, certainly the government the, the government released information out of China is looked at with quite a bit of suspicion. But when it comes to companies, and certainly the more private companies, you, know, you, you trust those numbers and you trade on them, and the market trades on them. In fact, it's been that, you know, the Chinese stocks have been underperforming for months now. And in fact, the so-called harder the Chinese government has cracked down on the economy, the worse uh, those investments have done. Hasn't really impacted our, uh, you know, our market and our economy here just yet. But it certainly could and it certainly will. As you said, I mean, if you start to see global banks, Chinese banks, for example, that have lent to these uh, uh, companies, these real estate companies fail, I mean, that can't help but to create a contagion. What does that mean for us here at home? I mean, I think J.P. Morgan, the old J.P. Morgan, not the bank, but the old man back at the turn of the century, I think he probably said it best. You know, you want to sell down to the sleeping point. You always have to be able to, to be prepared for a 10, 15, even 20% correction in the stock market. And think about that. That would just put us back to where we were the middle of last year. So you know, given the run we've had, given some of these brewing uh, uh, fears on the horizon, the Chinese real estate default is one of them. I, I just think now from a long-term perspective, take J.P. Morgan's advice, 
sell down to the sleeping point. Jonathan, it seems like we could approach this issue in two different ways, the short term and the long term. Let's start with the short term. The markets were really down on Monday on this news, but they rebounded throughout the week. Why is that? Well, for one thing, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, during COVID, people have been stockpiling a lot of cash because of all that uncertainty. Not so much government. I mean, government's been spending money, but a lot of people have been sitting on a hell of a lot of cash waiting until the dust is clear. So a lot of them see, especially those with a long-term time horizon, see a, a downdraft in the market as a good buying opportunity. And you know what? For those with a long-term time horizon, it really is. I think that's where people really get themselves mixed up in the market because the long-term secret isn't necessarily being able to jump in and jump out at the right time, but having a portfolio that works for you and for somebody in their 60s or 70s right now, I mean, they can't be too exposed to the market no matter what the forecast for the economy is. Quite simply that because if we get a five or 10-year, 15-year down period, they're simply not, they don't have the time to make it up. But truly, if you're in your 20s, 30s, even 40s, you've got that absolute 20-year time horizon you know, any major downdraft in the market should be seen as a long-term buying opportunity. Jonathan, let's talk about the long-term implications for this kind of thing then. So if this is an indication, as you kind of alluded to, that uh, China's economy has not been great, uh, ours seems like it's been good because, like you said, we've floated so much cash lately that, hey, enough cash is going to make anybody feel pretty good. But um, long-term is what's bad for China good for the United States? No, unfortunately not. I mean, it, you know, I think that's the, the misconception is that it's a fixed pie of wealth out there. and Either it goes to China or it goes to the United States. In fact, just the opposite is true. You know, China and the United States, that is people in China and people in the United States, engage in win-win relationships, win-win trade, right? I mean, almost anything we get off of, oh, I don't know, Amazon most likely comes to us at a fairly low price uh, and probably manufactured in China that benefits here at the home and uh, here at home in terms of lower prices and benefits workers in China as well. So, you know, for some reason, if there's major disruptions in China, if there's poverty in China, if there's Chinese companies closing, uh, that certainly could impact us, even beyond our stock prices in our stock portfolios in terms of just accessibility and availability of goods. So if you start to see the Chinese economy really falter, a lot of the goods we import from China could become more expensive or even less available writ large. Personally speaking, what is your opinion, though, on, you know, should we be that tied to the Chinese economy? I mean, is, is it wise of us to do that? Well, you know, individual companies are making exactly those decisions now. I mean, even before President Trump's, you know, trade tariffs, companies were realizing that doing business in China entails risks, just like it does in any semi or less free economy. So you are starting to see some of that diversification among supply chains, companies moving at least some of their manufacturing out of China, for example, and moving it to, into Vietnam, they're moving into to, to, to Cambodia or Indonesia or Malaysia. But I'd say by and large, they're not moving into South Carolina or Atlanta or, uh, or L.A. for that matter, or Washington, quite simply because it's just too expensive to manufacture in the U.S., and that's okay. Think about it. What you manufacture in the U.S. is ultimately much more valuable. It's ideas. It's the technological economy. It's the service economy. Uh, that's a much level higher, higher level of productivity than uh, you know, screwing together pieces of plastic on an assembly line somewhere. Jonathan Honig, uh, CapitalistPig.com, on the phone with us. So last question for you before we run out of time here. Uh, you know, 
when when you talk about how much cash has been infused into the economy right now, the American economy anyway, I, that's why we're seeing inflation and all these things. But if if they're not able to, I personally, I very much hope they're not able to spend another three point five trillion dollars. But assuming that they don't, uh, what is twenty two? What does twenty twenty two look like as far as the economy goes? Because we we're not going to be getting as much of this cash infusion, right? Well, you make exactly the right point of why we don't want government to spend cash is that, you know, borrow that old line from Milton Freeman, there is no such thing as a free lunch. You know, that's best evidence by, you know, nationally, workers got something like a 2 or 3% wage increase over the last pay period. But at the same time, prices are rising by 3 4 even 5%. So, you know, if you're making 3% in terms of your wages, but prices themselves are going up by 5%, you know, you're not making anything. And that's the real fear moving forward is that all that government spending, all that government incentivizing and money printing comes back to haunt us in terms of higher, wa- uh, higher inflation more than anything. And it's really the silent tax. I mean, it hurts the poor among us more than anyone, and it's hard to pin down because it's so subtle and so quiet. So moving forward, look for that more than anything, that silent tax, inflation in your pocket doesn't come from greedy corporations. It comes from a government that spends, spends, and spends. That's certainly what we have now. Jonathan Honig, so much appreciate your expertise on this subject, capitalistpig.com, and thank you so much for joining us this morning on Wiggins America. Great to be with you. Thanks again. Wiggins America. That is wonderful news. When we return, more on these audits. Of course, that's the big story this morning, so we're talking about it in both hours. We already talked about it here once earlier this hour, so if you missed that, you can rewind on the Odyssey app, or you can tune in to 971talk.com. I don't know why I said tune in. (laughs) You can log on to 971talk.com and get the podcast there once that's up, uh, probably later today. But also, we are going to be addressing that issue more next hour. And coming up, we're going to talk about natural immunity, a subject very close to my heart. Well, it doesn't seem that natural immunity falls into anybody's agenda, especially the government's. That's why nobody talks about it. Uh, But it's there, and it is gaining some attention just because people won't shut up about it. So I'm not shutting up about it either. This is Ryan Wiggins, and of course, every week I appear on the Annie Fry Show every day and do a Wiggins America segment. I'm going to play one of those back from this week talking about natural immunity. What does he know? Wiggins, America. I view everything skeptically. And I don't think that's actually an unhealthy thing to do. Whether it's the popular narrative, especially concerning medical things like we've been going through for the last 18 months, anything that comes out, whether it's the previous administration or this one, I'm like, hmm, I'll just wait and see. Prove it to me, basically. But I do that with everything. And this, the opposite is true, though that I will also do that with conspiracy theories. So it's not just that I'm going to believe the opposite of whatever the popular narrative is. I'm skeptical about all of it. And I think that's actually a pretty good place to be. Sounds like you had a really successful mental health day. I did. (laughs) And I ate well. (laughs) And I'm clean. (laughs) So I reflected upon myself. So here's... And I am... Here's me in a nutshell. Look, I'm in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) That's another movie that I just referenced. That's that's right. I know that one. Thank you. Um, But I I kept coming back to natural immunity as really the one thing that anytime I have conversations with people and they're like either all for the vaccine or they're all against the vaccine, it's like it really all hinges on that one thing, right? I mean, 
that's what it always comes back to as far as making big, broad social arguments, in my opinion. And so I, I started asking the questions, and there are two of them that I am like, these, it really all hinges on this. One, <clears throat> why haven't they been closely monitoring natural immunity the whole time? Because they've been doing studies on every single thing possible concerning COVID for 18 months since March of 2020, but there aren't a ton of studies on that. There are some, but they're few and far between compared to the amount that we have of data on other things. The second question is, why, now that it seems that, that some of the mainstream press actually is talking about this a little bit, not a ton, but they are starting to hear that question because enough of, it are, uh, enough of us are asking that question, why are they talking about it always in connection to the vaccine? So they'll bring it up, but they'll bring it up in terms of, well, how does this, does this relate to vaccinated people or people who have natural immunity? How does this affect whether you should be vaccinated and things like that? So I brought this audio clip because it kind of summarizes both of these arguments all into one, Brad. You have said, um, and, and, and certainly there's, there's medical uh, in, uh, proof, some scientific proof, that if you've gotten COVID, you get some uh, natural immunities. Do we have a good... Do we have some good studies that indicate how long those natural immunities uh, last? Not yet, Chuck. We don't. We're following that, but not yet. We do know that when you do get infected, you get strong immunity. There's no doubt about that. The durability is unclear. There's another fact we know that if you do get infected and recover and get vaccinated, the level of your immunity is extraordinarily high, surpassing any of the other two-dose vaccines that you get. So there are certain things we do know, the two things I just mentioned. The thing that's still unclear is what the durability of natural infection-induced immunity is, and what is the scope of its protection against different variants. Is this a case where do you think we'll be able to get data to find out for instance, if you've had COVID, maybe you only need one shot of a Pfizer, and that's going to be uh, sufficient. Is that the kind of research that you think we're going to be able to have in hand soon? So that's from Meet the Press. That's Chuck Todd and, of course, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who I can't believe is not completely discredited at this point, not just because he constantly flip-flops. I was going to say, Ryan, you said we were going to get this from a credible source. Yeah, yeah. No, this is from Meet the Press. But but it, it the the questions were both there, if you heard them. Why haven't we closely been monitoring this? Because he's re- re- referencing, well, we just don't have the data. Well, you have data on everything else. Why haven't you been monitoring this from the get-go? And then two, why are you only talking about it in terms of like, in, I, I left Chuck Todd's question at the end there. Well, does this mean that now that you're talking about a robust immune response once you've had the disease... Does that mean people only need one vaccine? Like, that's that's your question? Okay, the only answer I can come up with, it's because we've gotten to a place where government is so big that they need that tracking. They need to know how many people have gotten to their arms because they need to know numbers. They cannot leave it up to us anymore. That's the only thing I can come up with. Religion's America. That is wonderful news. This is, of course, Wiggins America. You are tuned in on a Saturday morning, so welcome to your weekend. Thanks for being here. We are going to take a short break and come back next hour. We are going to hit more on this audit from Arizona. 
and all of the fallout from it. It's amazing to watch the political jockeying around this thing. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about a couple other things, too. Trisha Seekman's going to join me in the studio, and a couple things that have fallen through the cracks this week that we're going to cover. Stick around. More Wiggins America coming up next. Wiggins America. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 